Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 152 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wael. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening, participating, and sending in all your questions and suggestions. Now, speaking of which, if you have any question or suggestion, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Also, if you want to keep up with the release dates, uh, you know, whenever I go on a break, for example, or, you know, the episode titles ahead of time, you can follow me on Instagram at Delving Into Islam Podcast. Again, Delving Into Islam Podcast for all the upcoming announcements. Uh, now, this podcast is literally for anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam. Or if you're thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you've been a Muslim all of your life, and you know, you just want to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Now, before I get into today's topic, I have just one clarification about an announcement that I made uh, in the previous episode, talking about like the videos that I'm going to create like a short video version of, you know, the podcast for every episode and like little clips here and there. Now, I just want to make this like tiny clarification that maybe some episodes I won't be able to do that for. So again, some episodes, if I'm too, it depends on my schedule. And if I'm like too busy to like, you know, create a a video and edit a video, I might skip a, a few episodes here and there. Like it's not going to be consistent, at least in the beginning. Again, because I'm trying to work around my schedule, so I apologize. And again, I'm trying to set your standards. I, I know I'm, some people thought it was a thing, and but I'm trying to tell people like I'm focused on the audio version uh, because it's it's time wise it's 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 better for me. But inshallah, I, I will try to be as consistent as as possible. But if I miss a few episodes here and there. It's, again, it's not going to be consistent when it comes to the video format, okay? So I just wanted to make that clear. Again, thank you so much uh, for being interested. And jazakumullah kullu khair. Now, uh, I want to continue talking about what we started talking about uh, in the last episode, which is the Day of Judgment, right? The significance of the Day of Judgment. The significance of us believing in the Day of Judgment. Because... Whether you're a Muslim or not, doesn't matter. You will experience the day of judgment. So don't think that, oh, I'm not a Muslim. I don't have to experience this. That doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Like, not a single soul that Allah created, including the animals, not a single soul will skip or escape the day of judgment. You will witness it. You'll be part of it. Not just witness it. You'll be part of it as well. You will experience what you're supposed to experience depending on your deeds and all these things. Now, every religion has, like we said in the the first episode, a version of the Day of Judgment. Now, the Islamic version is, Wallahi, forget about the fact that it's the truth and it's the only truth. It makes logical sense. Like the Islamic version of the Day of Judgment makes logical sense. (laughs) Think about it. Allah says, being a Muslim does not exempt you from being punished in hellfire at least for some time, right? Because 
If you think, oh, I'm a Muslim, I took the shahada, I'm, I, I pray five times a day, but I can do any evil in the world. And just because I'm a Muslim, I'm exempt from hellfire. No. Allah is just. And we will, like I said, also, we will experience the ultimate justice of Allah on the day of judgment. So you think because you're a Muslim and you didn't do anything, anything to enter paradise. Because being a Muslim is the most, first of all, it is the essential step towards paradise, towards Jannah. You cannot go to Jannah without being a Muslim. It's just that simple. But that does not make it the only step to enter paradise. It's not. It's the first step. It is the essential, the essential step to enter paradise. This is like, you know, like this is just walking through the door. That's the first step, but you have to walk through the door. You have to take that step. Now, being a Muslim only, no. That won't guarantee you paradise. That won't exempt you from hellfire. Allah is fair. There are evil Muslims around the world. And I'm going to give you examples. But there are terrible Muslims. Alhamdulillah, our faith keeps us in check. Keeps us uh, disciplined, right? Our religion, but some people don't follow that. Some people, to them, Islam is just a name. It's a, a public identity. I am a Muslim, guys. Some people even hide that identity, right? You have to work as a, you have to do your best. Allah's not asking you for the impossible, my dear brothers and sisters. Allah's just saying, do your best. Like, let me tell you this. How many of us is willing to do whatever it takes, stay up all night, you know, working 24 7? To buy the house of your dreams. How many of us? How many? Many of us. Most of us. Right? How many of us willing to work so hard and eat so little and rest so little so you could get the car of your dreams to go on vacation in like the best place ever? How many of us? Come on. Most of us. I, I'm not saying all of us. I'm, I don't like to generalize every single, but most of us. Some people don't care about these things. Good for them. Wallahi. But most of us, as long as it's halal, of course. Okay? But then when you tell people, yeah, you want to pass the, the test. Or it's not even a test. You want to survive the day of judgment. A day that will be terrifying for a lot of people a day that is the most significant event that will be the most significant event in existence since the creation of existence people won't believe their eyes from what they will witness again whether muslims or non-muslims so when we talk about we should work hard for the day of judgment we should do our best for the day of judgment. Allah's not asking for too much. We do it on a daily basis to live a better life in this life. A life that will end. A life that is temporary. A life that will be lost eventually. But yet, we still struggle. We still fight. But when it comes to the hereafter, mm, it's too much. Allah's asking for too much, I guess. For some people. And a lot of people ask, why do you have to be a Muslim? To, I, I've heard that. As a matter of fact, I was asked that on this podcast. Why do people have to be Muslims to enter paradise, to survive the day of judgment? Why? 
And the, the, the answer to that is very simple. Let me, let me give you an example. You go, and I'm, I, I believe I made that example before, but I just want to simplify it for you. Why being a Muslim is essential for you to enter paradise? Because I have someone who asked me before, my family are great people. They are, you know, they, they pay charity. They're so nice. They do all, they help the poor, they help the needy. They are good people. They're just not Muslims. They're not Muslims. But they are great people. They're not bad. They're, they, they encourage goodness. They, they try their best to, you know, fix this world. They are great human beings. Are you trying to tell me that they will end up in hellfire if, you do not, if they do not convert to Islam? I was, and I, I believe I addressed that. I, actually, there's an episode with the title of what happens to, to my non-Muslim family. Something like that. I don't remember the name of the episode. And when, when we talk about the topics that we previously mentioned on the podcast, I might go you know through this episode as well. But for now, I was asked that question. And it's a very valid question, by the way. It's not a, a crazy question. It's not an out-of-field question. It is a very valid question, especially for reverts who love their parents, who see their parents as you know the best there, uh, there, there is, the best there ever will be when it comes to parenthood and, and people in general. So why is it essential? Why is a person who does so many great things still won't enjoy paradise if they do not become Muslims? The answer is simple. When you go and to take a test, okay, and your professor tells you this, hear me out. It is mandatory to answer the first question. Again, it is mandatory to answer the first question. If you do not answer the first question, you won't pass the test even if you answered every other question. So disclaimer, you were told even before the exam, hey guys, I'm going to give you five questions. Let's say 10 questions. Answering the first question is mandatory. It is essential for you to pass the test. It doesn't matter if you answer all the other nine questions. It does not matter. If you do not answer this question, you will not pass the test. Okay? Then you go and you do not answer the first question. You answer all the other questions or the majority of the questions. And then the professor comes and says, yeah, sorry, you cannot pass. I have to fail you because I told you that the first question is essential. And that is basically the situation here. Being a Muslim is essential because here's the thing. You're asking for Allah to put you in paradise. That's basically the ask. We all want that, by the way. All of us want that. Okay. What have you done towards Allah, not towards people? Not paying charity, not being nice. This is all, by the way, the other nine questions. This is all great. That will actually increase your status in paradise. That will increase your level. That will elevate you on the day of judgment. But you still did not answer that essential question. You still did not take that essential step. Being a Muslim. Worshipping Allah. Admitting that Allah is your Lord. You're asking for Allah to put you in Jannah, yet you refuse to say Allah is the only God. Yet you refuse to bow and you know prostrate for the sake of Allah. 
And I know that people don't like say, no, I'm not going to do it. But they didn't even try to explore that religion. They didn't try to know about Allah. So why would Allah do that for you? Why would Allah put you in paradise? Again, same thing. I'm going to give you another worldly example. Same thing like uh, buying a house. How would you live in a house that doesn't have walls? Can you live in a house that doesn't have walls, that doesn't have those, you know, structure columns? The, the, basically, that, that's com- part of the structure of the house. You know, those columns that tells you, like, I cannot, you know, when you have, like, some contract or whatever you want to do work in the house, they say, well, if, it's, if there's a pillar here or if there's a column here, I cannot touch it because that might just ruin the house and collapses the house. How could you live in a house that doesn't have those columns or those pillars? You can't. You can't. The answer is simple. You cannot live in a house because this is the same thing like someone is saying, well, how come I'm not allowed to, you know, uh, build uh, a room in this house, a gaming room in this house? Well, you don't have a house in the first place. You don't have structure. You don't have those columns. You don't have walls. How do you want to build a room in a house that doesn't have structure in the first place? And that is exact. I know it's a little bit of a complicated example, but you know what I mean? Like people are doing good. Yes. But the essential part of people being good, the bare minimum Allah wants from you is to admit he is your Lord, to admit that he sent, because he told us so, he sent the final prophet and messenger prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, at least for the people who live in the era after Islam, right? After the Prophet ﷺ. And to worship him, giving him the basics of worshiping. Praying, fasting, all these things, right? Paying mandatory charity, if you have the money. Praying, if you physically and mentally can. Fasting, if you physically and mentally can. Allah's not asking for the impossible here. So, to those who say, Why? my parents would not enjoy paradise. Why did they have to get punished on the day of judgment? Well, here's the thing. Allah guides whomever he wants based on one thing, and one thing only. The heart. The intention. If your parents, or again, siblings, or even cousins, whatever, family members, even friends, if their heart is pure, I promise you, And by the way, only Allah knows that fact. They might seem pure to you. They might be doing great in front of you. But Allah knows the true intentions of every single human being. What's inside of the heart of every single human being. This is Allah's knowledge. You will never know that, by the way. You, You might guess. You might think. You might speculate what's in someone's heart. It's not recommended, by the way. Islamically speaking, you should not do that. But I'm saying you're capable of speculating, right? Allah is the only one who actually knows. And based on that, Allah will expose Islam. At the end of the day, Allah will expose Islam to every single human being. And on the day of judgment, those who will say, Oh Allah, we did not hear about Islam. We didn't know Islam. Allah will show them that in their lifetime, Allah showed them Islam, exposed them to Islam, and they rejected. Whether internally, they just said in their hearts, No, I'm not about that life. 
or externally, like, you know, they publicly said, no, we're not interested in Islam. Allah will tell you on the day, because like I said, Allah is just, the ultimate just. Allah will not punish you if Allah did not expose you to Islam. And we're talking about punishing regarding the religion of Islam, regarding converting to Islam. Allah will not punish you without that. So on the day of judgment, when you come in front of everybody and be like, oh Allah, I never heard about Islam. Allah will show you that you did. Allah will show you that Islam entered your heart and you rejected it. Or the opposite. Allah will show you that Allah exposed you to Islam and you accepted it and you worked for it. And Allah, now Allah is rewarding you on a day of judgment. So the formula is simple. Whatever goodness you do in this world does not matter. Can you imagine this? It does not matter. Without worshipping Allah, without admitting Allah is one, without being a Muslim, simply. It's just that simple. Again, the formula is simple. Any goodness you do in this world will not matter without being a Muslim. If you were in one way or another exposed to Islam. So that is clear. What's also fascinating about this notion is some people would say this. Some people would say, you know what? I don't have to follow a religion. I believe in God. I believe that there is an entity, like agnostics, for example. I believe that there is an entity out there. I believe that there is someone in control. I just don't need to follow a religion because religion restricts you, right? It, like it's very restricting. It's very, uh, you know, oppressive, right? It's very backwards and all these things that you hear about, you know, almost all religions, especially, of course, Islam. Now, they believe that, you know what, if God is in their heart, they're going to go to paradise. They're going to survive the day of judgment. The problem with that is, first of all, how would you worship Allah? You do not understand Allah, right? You don't understand Allah. You don't understand God. How would you worship God without God's guidance? The thing is, in order for you to worship Allah, in order for you to worship God, it has to be on God's terms, on Allah's terms, not on your terms, right? Because you don't know, you don't have knowledge of Allah. You don't have knowledge of Allah's abilities and attributes and all these things, right? You don't know how Allah operates. So how would you worship Him? You have to worship Allah according to Allah's Commands according to Allah's rules. Again, according to Allah's terms, not yours. Not when it comes to your you know, own convenience. It has to be what Allah tells you. Pray five times a day, you pray five times a day. You pray at this time or you have a window. When it comes to prayers on, at that time, between this time and this time, you have a window between this time and this time. Allah tells you how to properly worship Him. So you can survive the day of judgment. That's what Islam gives you. The only way to worship Allah, God, properly is through Islam. Okay? Because here's the thing. There's another like other type of people who would say what? I could follow multiple religions. Wallahi, I've heard that. Some people would say, well, you know what? I could follow Christianity and believe in Christianity and can believe in Islam and Judaism at the same time. No problem. Now, here's the big fundamental problem with that. All religions contradict each other when it comes to what? Which one is the truth? Islam 
rightfully so, tells you, I'm the truth. The true religion of Allah is Islam, which that's what we believe in, of course. Christianity, well, if you don't follow Jesus, if you don't believe in Jesus, that he is your Lord and Savior, you won't survive the day of judgment. Same thing for Judaism, you know, God's chosen people, right? So for you to say, I worship God through all religions at the same time, you're a hypocrite. It's impossible. It's just impossible. You can't do that, right? And those who also say, well, okay, I'm a Muslim, and I believe being a Muslim basically exempts you from entering hellfire no matter what you do. You're also delusional if you think like that. Islam is a very practical, logical religion. For your belief in Allah and the Prophet ﷺ, you know, following the Prophet ﷺ, eventually, if you're a terrible human being, eventually you're going to go to paradise. That is a fact. Eventually. Now, depending on how terrible you are and if Allah chooses to forgive certain things, you don't know how long you will spend in hellfire. And nobody, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not want to torture us or, you know, punish us. But Allah set rules. You want to survive the day of judgment. First, first thing, correct religion. The proper religion, how to survive, right? If you, uh, I don't know, if you have a, a Toyota car, right? If you have a Toyota. In order for you to fix your car, if it, you know, if it breaks down or anything happens to your Toyota car, you don't go and buy a BMW manual and try to use it to fix the Toyota, right? You don't do that. And Allah's saying, in order to survive, in order, first of all, to worship me the correct way so you could survive the day of judgment, you have to follow this one manual. Quran and the Sunnah combined. Basically, this is the revelation from Allah, Quran and Sunnah. So you can't come to Allah and be like, well, Allah, you said this is the manual, but you know what? I chose something else. I want to worship you how I want. It's my, in my, on my own terms, my own way, my own style. It doesn't work like that. Logically speaking, it will never work. So Allah told you, hey, this is, this is the religion. Now follow the religion, do your best, and if you make mistakes, come back to me and I will forgive you. Very simple. Wallahi, very simple. And once you finish that, once you, you know, finish basically your time on earth, right? Your lifetime, your lifespan, right? Once you're done, and as long as you were trying and you were learning and you were trying to please your Lord, worship him the correct way, according to the manual that your Lord gave you, inshallah, you will go to paradise. You will survive the day of judgment. That was a simple promise from Allah. Very clear. There is no like... You know, heading meanings, there's nothing. Allah was very, Allah was always very straightforward in His commands. The Quran, the second chapter in the Quran begins with what? Alif Lam, the chapter of the cow, the Al Baqarah. Alif Lam Mim, There is no doubt about this book. It is the ultimate truth. Allah is very strict when it comes to his commands. Very straightforward. There is no double meanings. There is no all these things. So Allah is saying, you want to go to paradise? You have to worship me. You want to worship me? You have to believe in Islam. You have to follow the religion of Islam because through the religion of Islam, you'll know exactly how to worship me. And if you worship me the proper way, you will enter paradise. Very simple. 
Wallahi, very simple. It's not complicated in any way, shape, or form. But we as human beings, of course, we like to complicate things. Anyway. Now, Islam tells us how to survive the day of judgment. Other religions have, of course, versions of that, but we have the most wallahi logical, you know, version that we, uh, like we mentioned before, we have the most logical one. Again, you're becoming a Muslim. Wonderful. Now you become a Muslim or you were born as a Muslim be like, yeah, that's enough. No, it doesn't cut it. Allah is just. No, you have to work for it and do your best. Just do your best. Allah knows that. We have shortcomings. Allah knows that we sin and we can repent and we can sin and repent and ask Allah for forgiveness and sin again and do certain things. And Allah knows that we are not perfect. We're not perfect as Allah is the only one who's perfect, by the way. Perfection is all to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not for us. So Allah knows all of that. And Allah saying, do your best. And inshallah, you shall survive by my will. Allah saying, by my will, you will survive the day of judgment. But at the end of the day, again, we want to work so hard for worldly things, to obtain worldly things. When it comes to the hereafter, mashallah, many of us do fight for it. Many of us try, but I'm including myself. We have shortcomings. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget about death. And we don't think about it that much. Sometimes we forget about like what will happen when we are resurrected. We don't think about it that much. And this is a big problem. This is a severe problem that, again, myself included, we have to fix. We have to keep reminding ourselves. You know, like Islam is very specific about the Day of Judgment. To a very detailed degree. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explicitly and vividly described the day of judgment for us in the Quran. And the Prophet described it vividly in the Sunnah, in his hadith, in his statements that he made. So you do not come to Allah and say, Oh Allah, I didn't know. You can't say that. You cannot say that. So I want to start by the basics. And and, and again, I'm literally I have a list right in front of me of all the episodes we have, starting with what is Islam? That Remember, guys, this was the first episode in 2019. And basically, the what is Islam is, like I said, it's the gateway to surviving the day of judgment. It's the gateway to paradise. Without Islam, you cannot survive. Without Islam, there is no Jannah. Again, unless you are from the very rare minority that might have not heard of Islam. Period. And Allah will know. And Allah will tell you. And Allah will be the one to decide on the day of judgment. Now, for you and me, we should, and this is, the again, the purpose of this podcast, try to educate people on Islam to save as much as we can. We need to save as much as we can. You must, for example, like, you know, reverts. My dear brothers and sisters, you can talk to your family. I know that some of you have difficulties with their families even accepting that, you know, you became Muslims. But like, Show them your personality and the, how you know great of a person you've became. Show them the development in your personality and let them love who you are. Be kind to them. Even if they're rough, be kind to them. And this is not out of weakness. This is out of mercy. You have to show your parents mercy because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to do so. Then 
when they are more accepting of who you are as a Muslim, and I'm talking about those who have problems with their, you know, parents uh, accepting them as Muslims, right? Then you start slowly and in a subtle way teaching them about Islam. At the end of the day, if you love your parents, and if you, even if you don't love them, you should try to save your parents. This is the best thing you could do for them. Save your parents. Save your parents. And again, it's, don't push it on them. Do not like try to force them to learn it. This is un-Islamic in, in any way, shape, or form. You have to subtly start talking to them about Islam. So that is, again, when we talk about the first episode, what is Islam? The whole purpose of telling people what is Islam is to prepare them for the day of judgment. Because again, without Islam, there's no surviving the day of judgment. Without Islam, there is no paradise. It's only unfortunately hellfire. That's it. So that is regarding the first episode. Moving on to the second episode, which is, does Islam promote violence? Again, this episode, I kind of, um, you know, address the stereotypes about muslims right oh they're harsh they're they're they're, they're terrorists they're like attacking uh non-muslims they call them infidels and we talked about all this which is a great propaganda by the way that was made by certain political kind of power in 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 the western world and some of them actually in the middle eastern world as well and the eastern world as well and they painted islam with this because we, and we mentioned this because they did it for political reasons they uh, did it. that doesn't mean there are no extremists in islam there are extremists in islam as much as there are extremists in christianity as much as they are extremists in judaism and non like abrahamic religions they also have do not look any further look at india they killed the man the, the, the Hindus, they are not, again, I'm not painting all the, the, the Hindu-like kind of culture with that, but the Hindus in one, and that happened, I think, two years ago or so. They literally killed, tortured, and killed a Muslim man, a Muslim Indian man, for, quote-unquote, smuggling beef. Because, you know, the cow, they worship the cow, and they think, some people think it's an insult to eat, you know, beef. And it was on the news, and of course, did not give get, get, get enough coverage. But I saw that. There are extremists in every belief, in every culture, in every religion. But here's the thing. It was the very cool thing to paint Muslims with that brush, the brush of violence. There are bad people. They're angry at you all the time. Even though, even the extremists of the Muslims, it was purely political, purely political has nothing to do with the religion. Even in the religion, Allah says, do not treat those. Hear me out. Uh, and in the chapter of Mumtahina, verse number eight, Allah is saying, Allah does not forbid you from being good to non-Muslims. Period. Non-Muslims, period. And being just with them. And being nice to them as long as they do not fight you in your religion. Allah is very specific. Those who did not fight you in your religion, they're not trying to, you know, expel you from your homes. They're not trying to like harass you and bully you and kill you. Just be good to them. If they're not doing any of this, be good to them. Be kind to them. And then Allah says, Allah loves those who are just. Be fair with them. 
what more of an evidence do you need that to show people, to show the world that Islam does not promote violence, that Islam does not promote, oh, fight the quote-unquote infidels, the non-Muslims? That's bogus. It's, it's always been laughable to me when people like, oh, Muslims hate us. Muslims do not like our freedom. What are you talking about? Where did you get that from? And of course, they take certain verses and they tweak it. And they take it out of context. We address that again in that episode. Now, my point is that was designed to make people fear Islam. And by design, that would ruin those people's hereafter. Because if you are afraid of Muslims because you didn't read on Islam, you didn't educate yourself, you will lose your hereafter by not becoming a Muslim. Do you understand? And again, the people who did that, they most likely do not believe in Islam. They did it for political and economical reasons. You know, when you're afraid of the other, when you're afraid of Muslims, we could do whatever we want. We can, you know, go and, and bomb their countries. We can destroy them. We can like steal their oil. We can do all these things. And none of you, I'm talking about like the, the actual people, right? The, the citizens of all the, the countries in the West. And again, I'm not trying to say it's just the West. Some countries in the East are doing the same thing. But again, as long as you have this fear barrier, you won't question what we do. And again, this is a well-known tactic, by the way. This tactic was used with the Prophet ﷺ. In the beginning of Islam, they used to say, people who would come and do hajj. By the way, the hajj in the beginning of Islam, when people used to come from everywhere, do hajj was a non-Islamic hajj was not Islamic. They would literally do uh, do tawaf around the Kaaba and they would say, Oh Allah, we love you. Oh Allah, labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. And then, Oh Allah, we shall answer to you and to those who are your partners. They literally used to associate partners with Allah. It was a pagan hajj. There was something called the pagan hajj before the Prophet came and they basically uh, destroyed all the idols there and established the authentic hajj, which is just for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But when the Prophet used to pray alone, again, this is early, early days in Islam. The Prophet used to pray alone next to the Kaaba, the right, correct prayer. And people used to watch and listen to him reciting Quran. So the people of Quraysh used to be scared of, you know, people listening to the Prophet when they come and do their pagan hajj, right? Because he was there, he was by the Kaaba. So they used to be scared because the people or those who the, the doing the, you know, the hajj, would listen to those powerful words from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they would convert to Islam and follow that new religion to them. So what did they used to do? Again, propaganda. Same thing, like, oh, Muslims are violent. Same thing. Do not listen to this man. He is a magician. He's a sorcerer. He's going to cast a spell on your ear and he will make you follow him. Wallahi, they used to say that. And he will captivate you. He will, because they used to do, there was magic. We build, Again, black magic does exist. So they used to be like, he's, he has these like little manipulation and he would cast a spell on you and you would believe him. Do not listen. And they literally used to tell people to cover their ears. Propaganda. This is exactly what's happening with the Muslims right now. Subhanallah. And again, I want to connect this to the Day of Judgment. When you do that, when you fall a victim or when you are a puppet, you know, for like a puppeteer or like the puppet master, when they tell you, do not, you have to verify for yourself. Otherwise, you will lose your hereafter. You will lose. And what I love about our religion is that it does not tell you, 
Hey, follow Islam without any logical reason. You have to follow Islam and become a Muslim and you're going to, you know, guaranteed paradise. No. Allah says what? Explore Islam. Go ahead. Use your intellect and do not be arrogant while you're, you know, have an open mind when it comes to Islam. Look around you. Look around you and you will figure it out. You'll know that Allah is one. You'll know that Allah left you many signs. Read the Quran and you will be shocked of many revelations in the Quran. Same thing when people ask, did Islam you know, spread by force? This is episode number three. Again, yes, there were force. But why? Because there was war going on. Muslims had to protect themselves. Muslims had to protect themselves from the tribes around them. We talked about this and we addressed this, right? But at the end of the day, Muslims had to tell people, this is Islam. Sometimes, sometimes you have to yell to get the information or the word across and when people are attacking you okay i'm gonna attack you back oh i'm gonna defend myself against you right guess what people who accepted islam never left islam when the muslims left those lands or like the companions left those lands because it shows you that islam once it entered the enters the heart it's game over if your heart is impure it will never accept islam no matter what and you have to be a really evil person to reject Islam. Now, why was Islam spread? Why did the Prophet wasallam? why was he trying to spread Islam? For one reason, to save as much as he can. To save as much as he can. A lot of people can't fathom the concept of making da'wah which is preaching Islam. Oh my God, he's one of those preachers. Oh my God, look at those Muslims. They preach Islam all day long. Do you think we enjoy being mocked by certain people when they hear about Islam? Do you think that? Do you think we enjoy, um, you know, call, being called names and getting that, those looks and getting those like questions like, wow, well, you, your religion is, is backwards. And do you think people enjoy doing that? No, we don't. We don't. There's a million other things we could do that will make our lives easier. But it is the right thing to do. It is the sunnah. We're trying to follow you know, our role model, Prophet Muhammad by guiding as much as we can. Yes, some people will be guided and some people won't. Right? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Islam as a lifestyle, Islam is not for everyone. Again, I repeat, Islam is not for everyone. But everyone needs Islam. Islam is essential for everyone. Again, Islam is not for everyone as a religion, as a lifestyle. But every single human being, everyone needs Islam. Islam is essential for everyone, even though it's not for everyone. What do I mean by it's not for everyone? It won't appeal to everyone. But whether it appeals to you or not, it is essential for you to survive the day of judgment. It's that simple. It's that simple. And if it appeals to you, then mashallah, you have made it. In terms of like, you know, learning and trying to accept Islam. Because people who do things as Muslims, they pray and they hate the fact that they're praying. Good luck, you're not getting any rewards. You're not. Versus someone who loves doing this, or they do this because they want to please Allah, because they want to pass that, that day of judgment. They want to survive the day of judgment. They want to go to paradise. They don't want to go to hellfire. 
There's a big difference between someone who hates his life, I don't want to do this, and someone who, again, it's tough, waking up for fudge is not easy. Waking up at like, you know, 5.30 in the morning and sometimes it goes all the way as early as like 3 o'clock in the morning sometimes, right? But currently right now, like 5.30 in the morning, 5.27, something like that. It's not easy. Who said it's easy? You have to sleep early. You have to adjust your alarm. I actually put like five alarms probably around between three and five alarms. So when the first one does not wake me up, the second one would. It's a process. Why do I do all of that? Do you think I enjoy this? No, but I do it to please my Lord so my Lord can fulfill his promise with me because he will fulfill his promise as long as I fulfill my duties and my worship acts towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, towards him by going to paradise, by being protected from the horrific things that will happen on the day of judgment. That's why I try. And again, once in a while, I'll slip. Every single human being slips. Repent and go back to Allah and pray. Why do men lower their gaze? Why do women lower their gaze? It's easier to just look to like, you know, a woman who has no clothes. It's easier to look to a man who's shredded and has no clothes on. And it's easier, right? But why do we do that? It's what we call, and here's the thing, jihad. That word bothers a lot of people without even knowing the meaning of it, which is hilarious to me. The word jihad is to struggle. <laughs> has nothing. Jihad is, is is according to like Fox News, CNN, and all these things. It's a political statement. Yes, it is a political statement for you. But jihad, Islamically speaking, is literally nothing but struggle. Praying five times a day is a type of jihad. By the way, committing uh, good deeds and and staying away from sins is a type of jihad. This what I'm doing right now is a type of jihad. I'm trying to teach you about Islam. Tell you be nice to your parents. I know that a lot of people think jihad is like, oh, attack and fight the infidels, quote unquote. The infidels, fight them. No, that's not what it is. Again, some people try to paint that as, again, it's all the negativity in the world. It's all political and it's all a game. They have like a playbook that they're trying to use now with the situation with, you know, Palestine, but it's not working anymore. Yes, it's still working on a very small scale. Certain people in power, certain people are trying to believe it. They want to believe it and they want to spread it. But the majority of the human population across the world are catching up. They're knowing now the game. Oh, that's what you've been saying about Muslims, you know? So that's what I'm trying to say. This is called jihad, back to the word jihad. Jihad is just a simple word of like, Living your life as a Muslim. Same word for sharia. Sharia law. They made it look like, oh, everybody's going to be beheaded. It's going to be heads flying around, arms flying around. Do not let the Muslims control you because they're going to apply sharia law. What are you saying? Sharia is, again, praying five times a day. Fasting Ramadan is me applying sharia. People do not know that. And it's laughable, but sad and dangerous at the same time because people who utter these ridiculous words... They do not know that the, the results of that could be putting the lives of Muslims in danger around the world. And it's based on ignorance and an agenda, of course, but also ignorance. Sharia is literally me treating my spouse in a kind way. Me treating my parents in a kind way and listening to them. Me applying the sunnah. Me put, guys, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how the world that we live in twisted these words into a negative kind of connotation that will have a negative connotation to them. It's insane. 
so again, back to my point. When you struggle, when you do this, like, you know, uh, uh, struggle with yourself that you had, uh, that when you apply these things, why do you do all of that? Why do you want to buy a house without paying, you know, interest? Why do you go to the struggle of like either not buying a house and renting for the rest of your life or, you know, finding a Muslim, very clear Muslim, Muslim with a clear model when it comes to, again, what they say, Sharia-based mortgage. See, Sharia is not a bad thing. Sharia-based mortgage. You can find that in the West. Certain, very few, by the way, not all of them, very few. Because some of them are other, you know, they're scammers. I'll just, I'm not going to mention any names, but some of these companies are scammers. Why do you go through that struggle and fight to, to buy a house? And, you know, there's a risk that comes with it because you're a renter. You're not a buyer all the way until you, you know, buy. And because you want to please Allah. Why do you want to please Allah? Because you want Jannah. You want Allah to give you Jannah like Allah promised. Why do you only eat halal meat? Oh, let's look for a halal place. Or if I go like the other day, I was with my coworkers. Which uh, they're all non-Muslims. Actually, one of them was Muslim, and they were like, "Oh, what, what, we're like, um, you know, there was like a company event or a team event, and they were asking, hey, should you, um, wh- wh- where should we eat? Anybody has ideas?'" And I said, "Listen, any place that has, I didn't want to force halal meat on them. So what did I say? Vegetables, like a veggie, uh, <clears throat> veggie option, or um, like a seafood option. I'll eat any of that. Why do you have to go through all of that?" To please Allah. Why? To gain Jannah. Jannah is not free. Again, I keep saying that. A lot of people think that Jannah is free. It's not free. It's not free. But what Allah is asking in return is not impossible. It's not that difficult. It's not hectic. It's not overwhelming. It's none of that. Pray five times a day. Do you know how many times? I know, and we're going to get into that when we get to it. But like, do you know how long does it take you to make one prayer? Five minutes, multiply this by five. 25 minutes in 24 hours. Is that so difficult for us as Muslims to maintain every single day? Guys, 25 minutes. You want to add the nawafil? You want to add the, make it maximum one hour in the entire day, spread out throughout the day, right? Is really one hour, including the bonus prayers, the sunnah prayers that are not mandatory. But I'm saying even if you want to do the best now when it comes to prayers, is it really that difficult? One hour out of 24 hours? And then people ask, why am I not getting Jannah? Because of this, you're not even trying. It's so cheap to you that you don't even want to work for it. Another um, topic which I believe was uh, episode number five. And again, I'm going to jump through. Like when I see that I have multiple episodes tackling the same thing, I'm just going to skip a few episodes. Well, like for example, we have episode number five that says, does Islam oppress women? And I have another episode, I believe that uh, with the title, I forgot the the number of the episode, but the name was, are men preferred over women, right? These two episodes are basically, they have the same impact on the Day of Judgment, which is what? Unfortunately, we have some women, some Muslim sisters who believe that men have too much authority over them, Muslim men. Is that true? Maybe. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave a specific authority 
for men, which is um, when they spend, when when I when when a man marries a woman and they spend on them, they spend on the house, or at least they do the majority, the overwhelming majority of spending. Because I know in the West, sometimes people, you know, there is a shared kind of uh, spending, but the man has to have the overwhelming majority of, you know, the house expenses has to fall on the man. That's there's no question about that if the man is capable again everyone's situation is different i get it but my point is there's a lot of sisters out there who have a problem why would allah prefer men over women why would men don't have to do certain things but women like why 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 do men do not have to cover certain parts and and women have to cover everything why do men why the final say has to be for the husband it's like battle between the genders it's not what allah says it's not what the prophet says it's to them it's a battle between the genders they completely lost sight of the day of judgment. Because Allah says in that, in, in, by, by the way, the Prophet there's an incident that I want to talk to you about. On the Eid al-Fitr, the, the Eid after the Ramadan, the Prophet went to the women of Medina and he said, there's something called Zakat al-Fitr. There's a type of mandatory charity that we have to pay. It's very minimal, like $10, $15, and whatever is equivalent, uh, that you basically pay uh, for you as a man Like for, for example For me I pay for my wife And my children And my wife pays for herself It's mandatory upon every Family member Who is capable of paying Right Even they say Even upon the people Who are not mentally there Someone has to pay for them If you know If they cannot pay for themselves It's mandatory upon Every single Muslim Adult and not adult Now for those who are below Who are not adult yet Like for example Me as, as the dad As the parent I have to pay on their behalf Okay what we call zakat uh, al-fitr. And it's only a one time that you do before. And the, the money of it or the equivalence of it, again, if you want to buy food for the people who are in need, must reach the destination, must reach the people who are in need before the prayers of Eid. Again, that's the Eid, the, the, the Eid after uh, Ramadan, which is coming up. So he went to the women of Medina and the Prophet said, pay up. The, the, the zakat al-fitr for the poor Because I Look at this On the night of Isra al-Maraj The Prophet Was uh, given the, 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 the permission To see the people of hellfire And he said that The majority of hellfire Will be from women And people jumped on that And our sisters Jumped on that What does that mean? What is that supposed to mean? Like are women like so bad? And Wallahi I've had conversations Like they were so upset about this First of all Astaghfirullah You're talking about the Prophet ﷺ, A statement that was made by the Prophet ﷺ That was given directly by Allah Allah like we said Hadith is knowledge that was given to the Prophet ﷺ By Allah You have a problem with a vision in the future That something that will happen and this is that shows you the type of relationship that, you know, and again, I'm not saying just the sisters, don't get me wrong. Men do have the problem too. When there's something they do not like, they have this like indecency when talking about Allah's verdict or Allah's commands or Allah's vision in the future, like Allah telling us about something that will happen in the future. So a lot of sisters like, you know, they get upset. So like uh, women are not that bad. Why women are like so evil? They're not. Women are essential. Again, the Prophet ﷺ said, you have to praise your mother without you the 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 forgiveness of your mother without the you know acceptance of your mother. You shall not enter paradise. The Prophet said that the paradise is is basically under the feet of our mothers. It's a metaphor of what you should please your mother to 
enter paradise. If you're doing all great things and your mother is is mad at you and you treated her badly, guess what? No paradise for you. This is a statement right there. What is a mother? A woman in Islam, right? A female. So there is Islam, this whole notion of, oh, Islam has a problem with women. No, it doesn't. Islam is very clearly identifying the different roles of a male and a female. It's that simple. Now, back to the hadith. So the Prophet said, I saw that the majority of, men, of, of the people of hellfire will be women. And one of the reasons why, look at this. One of the reasons why is that a woman uh, will be living with her husband. He will be loving, caring, and he will like spend on the house. Again, whether majority or all of it depends on the situation, but he will be spending as much as the husband can. And then with one fight, the woman goes and says, I've never seen a good day with you. Never seen a good day with you. That happens. Am I correct? Certain wives, and again, certain husbands do the same. But certain wives, they say, oh, my life is miserable with you. And we're talking about caring, loving husbands. We're not talking about like abusive husbands. You should not even be with them in the first place. But my point is, caring, loving husbands, when they make a mistake, it's the end of the world. And wallahi, that happens to almost every single husband out there. At a certain point, not all the time. They forget about all the bad things. And this is okay. Again, husbands do the same thing. Don't get me wrong. They do. Many husbands are abusive. Many husbands are dismissive of the opinions of their wives. And this is un-Islamic. The Prophet used to take the opinion of his wife. You know, remember with the incident of like the, the first uh, Umrah, when they were rejected to enter Umrah, whatever. I don't want to go to the story, but he took the opinion of his wife. Many husbands do not do that. And they will be, again, held accountable in front of Allah. But again, I want to go back to this. So the Prophet says, you commit major sins when you do that. Now, our sisters have a problem with that. Now, first of all, having a problem with that won't change the fact that the majority of mankind will be from the women. And again, it's not just that women in terms of like numbers are also far more. The Prophet said one of the reasons, one of the reasons. Why does it have to be a battle between genders? And this is the problem when our sisters, and again, some of our sisters, they start that fight, that mentality. They're losing sight of the day of judgment. Let me tell you a story of a very smart, and I'll tell you why, wise, wise, a very wise Muslim sisters during the time of the Prophet. So she was a companion of the Prophet and I mentioned that story before, but let me mention it to you again in the context of the Day of Judgment now and the consequences of what we do in the Day of Judgment or on the Day of Judgment. Her husband traveled. Now, he traveled for business, for work. He was doing trades and whatever. Then her, her uh, brother came to her and he said, our father is sick. He wants to see you. So she said, I cannot leave. And by the way, Islamically speaking, you should ask for your husband's permission to leave. That's what Islam says. And he said, you should come and see my, uh, our father. And she said, I want to, but I can't. My husband is not here. And of course, there were no cell phones back then. She, couldn't, she could not ask simply for permission. So the brother left and told the father that. A couple of days later, the father's condition gotten worse. So the brother came. He's like, our father is dying. He wants to see you. And she said... I want to, but I can't. And she was like mentally struggling and mentally devastated. The 
The Prophet ﷺ, Islam tells us to listen and take permission before leaving the house. I can't. And she kept making dua for father, make dua for my father. And once my husband comes, and it's not like the husband was again objecting, he just wasn't there. He would have told her right away, go to your father, but he wasn't there. And then the, the brother came a few days later. He's like, it's really bad. You have to come. And then she said, can you go and can you just go and ask the Prophet ﷺ if you know I'm allowed to leave the house? So the brother goes to the Prophet ﷺ and he asks him, oh, Prophet of Allah, this is the situation. Can she leave the house and you know for the father? And the Prophet ﷺ said, she should stay. And the Prophet ﷺ basically said, I'm not allowed to tell a woman to leave her house without the, the, the husband's permission. It's not my place. So she should not play, leave the house. She should stay and will make dua for the father. The father passed away. And she could not see him. Then the husband came back and they all went and, you know, she made dua for her father, all these things. And when they came back home, the Prophet ﷺ decided to pay them a visit, the man and his wife. Knocked on the door, the Prophet ﷺ was given permission to come in. And he said, you are um, the woman with the you know father situation that we prayed Janazah on. She said, yes, it was me. And he said, you did not leave the house because of your husband wasn't there. She said, yes, indeed. And the Prophet said this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed me that you and your father will be in Jannah. That you and you will father will go to Jannah. You will meet in Jannah, don't worry. And she was extremely happy. And the, but by the way, the reason why her father will join her in Jannah, of course, he was a good uh, Muslim. He was a, a great believer, one of the great companions. However, he was also patient. When she said that she cannot make, he understood. He completely understood. He's not like, how dare you? You're my daughter. You better come here and see me because I'm sick. No, he didn't do any of that. He said, I understand. And when his you know, situation got worse, his the brother went on his own to try to bring her back. But he couldn't, and we know the story. But again, what was the conclusion of the story? She got Jannah just because, again, she was a great Muslim, but that's what guaranteed her Jannah. Now, you tell that story in today's world, you know the names that that woman, that blessed companion would be called? She's weak. She's weak. What is this? She's a slave for her husband? Come on. What is this? This is a joke. Do not learn from her, girls. Do not learn to be submissive like that. She could not leave without taking permission. Come on. What is this? Is this a joke? And that's the world we live in. That's why some of our sisters get mad when they hear this. Like, what do you expect? Wallahi, I told this story in front of a few sisters and they were rolling their eyes. Isn't that crazy? Now, what's the difference between that sister, the companion, may Allah be pleased with her, and certain sisters that we have today? She clearly know what she wanted. She could see the day of judgment. She could see the consequences of her actions on the day of judgment. She didn't care about what people would say about her in this life. Versus 
Oh no, my dignity comes first. And nobody's telling you to step on your pride to be humiliated by your husband. That's not what Islam tells you, by the way. Your husband should honor you. And if he doesn't honor you, if he disrespects you, you should leave him. That's Islamically speaking. You're totally allowed to do that. But my point is, look at that. The vision here. Look at the difference. You tell people that and they judge you. Oh, misogynistic religion. Oh, this religion that prefers men. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? This is the religion that prefers Jannah over hellfire. That's what it is. That's what it is. And unfortunately, again, a lot of people lose sight of this. But anyway, moving on. Now, we talked about, you know, like, uh, I believe episode six, seven, talking about, you know, Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. And we said Jesus Christ, like, it doesn't make any sense for us as Muslims. Like, it, it doesn't. It, logically, well, it should not even logically make any sense for any single human being to, that God would have a son, a human, half human, half God, or whenever he flips, he has the characteristics of a human. He has the, you know, characteristics of a God. It doesn't make any sense. And we... Again, go back to these episodes, you will notice the insane flaws of the concept of Jesus, uh, peace be upon him, uh, you know, was a God. And it just doesn't make any sense. And there's a lot of logical flaws with that, right? However, believing that Jesus is a God is such, unfortunately, a waste of, of everything, such a waste of the day of judgment. You lose your day of judgment just because you believe that a man could be a God. And we mentioned this. To a lot of people, God is a powerful man, a powerful human being. Superman is a God. Uh, Thor is a God. Uh, what is it called? Uh, Thanos is a God. Like all these comic book characters. And sometimes to describe some like famous artist, famous author, famous whatever they say. Well, this man is a God. What do you? And I cringe when I hear that. I know they don't mean the literal divine God, but for you to just compare him to a God, it shows you the mental status that the majority of people are in when it comes to the description of who God is or who God could be. And of course, that will significantly affect your hereafter. Because believing in Allah, one God, one Lord, that makes sense in this world will save you at least eventually. Again, we still know that some Muslims could be evil, right? And could be punished before going into Jannah. But eventually, inshallah, if you truly believe that Allah is one, and if you truly follow the, you know, the belief that the Prophet was the Prophet, the, the final messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will eventually guarantee Jannah, eventually. Now, how you live your life, sins and good deeds, that will either, you know, make you go to Jannah immediately, or unfortunately, after you... You know, do your time in hellfire. Hopefully, may Allah protect us from all the Muslims, from all of that. And may Allah guide all the non-Muslims to Islam. At the end of the day, we want everyone to be guided. We want everyone to be saved on the Day of Judgment. That is, that is basically it. That, that's the purpose of life. <laughs> you know that, right? The purpose of life is not for us to live and enjoy life and die. That's, not, that's what an atheist would say. That's the atheist approach of, of life. And, and it's a very depressing kind of version of life. It's a very de depressing look on life. Because, guess, you're, you're born to die. You're born, you're going to live a few years 
enjoy life, but then you're dead, nothing else happens. It does not make any sense in the world. Wallahi, it does not make any sense in the world. And that, you know, uh, brings me to, I believe, episode eight and nine now, talking about how did life begin, the purpose of life. Allah created the heavens and the earth. And Allah also created Jannah and Hellfire. They're already created. Allah's not going to still create them. They will be presented to us later, after or on the Day of Judgment, but they're already created. They were designed, when Allah designed this world, when Allah structured our existence, they were in the calculus. They're, they're there. They're, uh, we, they exist as we speak. And our purpose in life, my dear brothers and sisters, is to survive. This is a bridge. Again, I always say, life is a bridge. Do not get attached to this life so much. It is a bridge to where? To the hereafter. To the hereafter. You were not created to work and have a family and just die and that's it. No, you can do that as long as it's in a halal way. But you were created to only worship Allah. So Allah would reward you by making you survive the day of judgment by admitting you into Jannah, into paradise. That is the true purpose of life. But we always lose sight of that purpose. And it's okay to lose sight for a little bit and come back to the true purpose, to start to fulfill that true purpose. It's okay. Again, we're not perfect. But those who are completely oblivious, completely oblivious, those who live this life as there is no tomorrow, there's no hereafter. Ya Allah. It is scary, wallahi. If you think about it, it's very scary for people to live life like that. It is very scary for them. You see all, again, all those who, you know, go party all night. No praying. And I'm talking about Muslims, certain certain Muslims and non-Muslims. Again, there's always this bad batch of every religion, right? But even like I'm talking about like in general right now, all non-Muslims do not believe in praying five times a day because they don't believe in Allah. They do not believe in Islam. And look at the, the obliviousness of this entire world. They're all oblivious. To what's going to happen to them after death. Some have the wrong idea. Some believe nothing will happen. Right? Some believe nothing will happen. And because of that, they just party all day. Celebrities are doing crazy things. It's all about money. Buying houses with like literally billions of dollars. Right? It's all to them. It's just life. They want to enjoy it. But then you pause and ask yourself. How long will they be living in this life? It's not going to be that long. Not going to be that long. 80 years? By the way, by the time they get to 70, 80, they won't enjoy anything in life. Their bodies, their old age will be the dominant part of their life. They won't be able to enjoy anything. For a few years, you're going to sell your hereafter? All right. It's, It's on you. At the end of the day, it's on you. And I'm talking to certain Muslims who, again... They don't want to pray. They don't, they're not interested in praying. They pray once every blue moon, like they say, right? They don't care about paying charity. It's all about their spending money on vacations and doing all these things. What's like? Here's one crazy part. There are certain people who are so, and I'm talking about Muslim, Muslim people, who are so in love with this life that they completely forgot about their, they, they, it's all about themselves. It's like a, a little bit of selfishness. 
I want to have fun. I want to go out with my buddies. And we'll find a babysitter for the kids. And then, oh, let's bring our friends over. And let's, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, have like a blast. Watch movies, play music, you know, do all these things. And you ask, when do the kids see you pray? If this is your life, how do you expect your children to become good Muslims? They don't even see you pray. Is it really that fascinating, this life, that you as a Muslim know that it won't last? And it's very, well, it's, it's very concerning how the amount of people, and again, I'm including myself, once in a while, we do things that make us forget or like we get into situations when we forget about the Day of Judgment. And it's sad for all of us. And we always have to have this constant reminder. What are we doing on this earth? What are we doing? What is our purpose? We have to think when you have to keep reminding ourselves because nobody else will. If nobody else will, I mean, there are some people who are out there who keep reminding us, of course. But what if you, all your friends, and by the way, that also goes to choosing friends. The Prophet said what? Choose the companion or the friend who would always remind you of the Day of Judgment. Who would constantly remind you of death, Day of Judgment, reminds you of Allah, worshipping Allah. But your friends are like, oh, let's go and have fun. Oh, let's go, uh, you know, and let's head to the city and do all this and all that. And no mention of Allah when the prayer times come. No praying. You are in the wrong group of friends. Make better friends. Because at the end of the day, what's going to happen? Your friends might make you a better human being, a better Muslim, or they can make you a worse human being, a worse Muslim. Companionship matters. Friendships matter. They will affect your hereafter. Wallahi, they will. You know, when we, uh, like in episode number 11, for example, when we say, do Muslims, that's the title. Do Muslims love or fear God? We talk about. We talked about this, right? We talked about this. We said what? Live your life fearing Allah. Because fearing Allah is literally securing a better place in the hereafter. That's the formula. Fearing Allah equals a better hereafter. Not fearing Allah equals oh a riskier hereafter. Because Allah said what? لا أجمع على عبدي خوفين أو أمنين. Allah said, I will not combine two fears nor two securities when it comes to here and the day of judgment. So if you fear Allah, basically the meaning of the hadith, because it's a what's called a Qudsi hadith. It's a hadith by Allah. Directly, the Prophet said, Allah said. That's not in the Quran, it's in the hadith, but it's a direct, again, quote from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, direct wording from Allah. It's called the hadith Qudsi, it's a type of hadith. Anyway, so Allah is saying that the formula is simple. Fearing me in this life equals not fearing me in the hereafter. I won't combine two fears. Meaning if you fear me now, you won't fear me on the day of judgment. And if you think you're secured for me now, meaning if you do not fear Allah now, you won't be secured on the day of judgment. You you will fear Allah on the day of judgment. You see, do you see how, how the formula, it's, pretty, it's, it's a balanced formula. 
If you fear Allah now, you won't fear Him on the Day of Judgment. If you think you're secured from Allah now, you won't be secured from Him on the Day of Judgment. We have to live by this rule. Fear Allah and have hope. Again, fear Allah and have hope. Now, your hope, like we mentioned before, has to be less than the fear. Because you might get overconfident, right? You don't want to get overconfident. Am I correct? You don't want to get overconfident. You need to keep that fear level a little bit higher than the hope level. Because when you have that fear level higher, you're going to be conscious of Allah. You're going to be always like, oh, I don't want to do this too. You know, I don't want to disobey Allah. I want to have a better hereafter. I want to go to Jannah. I want to go to paradise. I want to guarantee paradise. And that will give you, again, it all goes back to, do you prefer this life more or the hereafter more? Allah gave, gave you the choices. Fear me now. You won't fear me on a day of judgment. Oh, you're secured for me now? Okay, you won't be secured for me on a day of judgment. It's your choice. Allah's giving you the choice. It is completely your choice. Talking about shirk, episode number 15. Worshipping others beside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shirk. It's that simple. Shirk leads to eternity in hellfire. There's nothing more clear in the Quran than this. In the chapter of Nisa, verse number 116. Allah does not forgive shirk. Guys, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear brothers in humanity, all the non-Muslims who are listening, Allah explicitly said, I will not forgive shirk. No matter what you do, I will not forgive shirk. And I could forgive, besides shirk, anything I want. Allah could forgive whomever He wants, as long as you're not committing shirk. Come on, it's, it could not be more clear. SubhanAllah. Shirk is the greatest sin of all time. If there's one sin that is the greatest sin of all time, it is by far, by miles, shirk. You can't even compare it to any other major sin, by the way. Shirk is significantly destructive for us as human beings in the sight of Allah. It is the worst sin a human being could commit. And unfortunately, three quarters of the world right now is committing shirk. That's a fact. That's a fact. May Allah make it, again, guide all of them and make it easy on us and does not uh, allow us to be misguided. Episode number 16 and 17 when we talked about angels, right? Again, angels will have a big impact on us on the Day of Judgment. Angels actually make du'a for us. They, they do make du'a for us to be forgiven on the Day of Judgment. Like I said, one of the things is if you uh, stay after prayers and you start doing dhikr, subhanallah, alhamdulillah, allahu akbar, right? And saying astaghfirullah, all these dhikrs, after, before you stand, by the way. So you said, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And before you stand, you started reciting dhikr. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a hadith that says you can, 10 times you say, subhanallah, 10 times you say, alhamdulillah, 10 times you say, Allahu Akbar. And that will be heavy on your scale. When you do that, as long as you're doing dhikr, an angel is standing in front of you or flying in front of you and keep making dua for you to be forgiven by Allah on the day of judgment. But guess what we do? Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Run. Oh, I want to watch this TV show. I want to do this. I have to go. I got to go. 
the majority of us. And the Prophet actually mentioned that in the same hadith. When he said, these are very simple things to do. However, a lot of people don't do them. And when the companions ask, why do people not stay? The Prophet said, shaitan comes to you. Right after he says, Salam alaikum wa rahmatullah, and tries to tell you, oh, you, you're, you're going to miss out on this. You're going to miss out on that. You need to get up now. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go. To distract you from making dhikr so you wouldn't be forgiven on the day of judgment. Imagine an angel making dua for you. And the moment you stand up, the angel flies away, just leaves. So basically the angels stop making the dua for you. That's why you should still, you know, stay seated or, you know, whatever your position is after you say, Salam alaikum wa rahmatullah, do not stand up. Because once you stand up, the angel leaves. So keep making dhikr without before standing up, if you can. As long, as long, again, some people have emergencies, I get it. But for the most part, just do that. And if you make wudu before you go to sleep, an angel will come and keep making dua for you until you wake up in the morning. And of course, when we go to sleep, we lose our wudu, right? It doesn't matter. If you sleep upon wudu, if you sleep upon wudu, up until you wake up in the morning or you know for fajr the angel will keep making dua for you what is the dua for allah to forgive you again we need that my dear brothers and sisters we need it you might think you don't need it but wallahi you do wallahi you do and wallahi sometimes uh, i struggle like it's it's cold night or whatever and i'm like oh, i'm still i have to make wudu and then i remember i really need that dua and again, sometimes I'm too tired to make it. I'm not going to say that I do it every night. But alhamdulillah, for the most part, I make sure that I make that make wudu and I recite the Ayatul Kursi uh, before I go to bed. We need these things and the angels are trying to help us now. They're making dua because you are like observing great things and remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They love it when you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they make dua for you, for Allah to forgive you. Come on. Angels making dua for you, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam. Come on. What else do you want? Ramadan is inshallah coming up. Ramadan will be manifested as a being on the day of judgment. But we'll talk about that in a lot of detail just to make it more chronological. But Ramadan will have a big impact on you on the day of judgment. Fasting Ramadan. Fasting Ramadan the correct way will have a huge impact on you on the day of judgment. A lot of people ask, isn't it? It's 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 so much and it's so heavy to fast. You know, spending almost all day without food and water and yeah, think about the hereafter. Think about the hereafter. Recite on Quran during Ramadan and outside of Ramadan will intercede on your behalf on the day of judgment. Quran itself again will manifest as a being and will speak to Allah and intercede on your behalf. We're going to get into that again in a lot of detail when we get to it inshallah. Episode number 29. What is the sunnah? The sunnah is essential. Following Quran alone won't get you to paradise. Believe it or not. Following Quran alone will not get you into paradise This is not my words by the way These are not my words These are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala In the chapter of Hash Verse number 7 وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولُ فَخُذُوا وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْهُ فَانْتَهُوا Whatever the Prophet ﷺ tells you to do You have to do It's, it's obligatory And whatever the Prophet ﷺ forbids you from doing It is forbidden You cannot do it It's haram upon you This is Following the sunnah of the Prophet 
not just the Quran. Because in the Quran, it tells you to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet. And whatever the Prophet in a hadith says, do not do, or said do not do, you cannot do it. If the Prophet forbids, there's a difference between the optional things that the Prophet used to do. Yes, we'll get more rewards if we do it, but we're not sinful if we. Like, for example, again, making wudu before we go to bed. This is not mandatory. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. But if you do it, you're going to get rewards and an angel will make dua for you. What the Prophet says, do in, in a hadith, you have to do. If the Prophet did something without saying do it, then yeah, it becomes optional. Right? So that is my point. Again, you think that you're going to go to Jannah without the sunnah, you're delusional. Delusional. It does not work that way. Like for example, also episode number 32, being patient in Islam. Oh, that will help you so much to enter Jannah. There is actually a gate for those who are patient. A gate in Jannah, in paradise. Paradise, by the way, has eight gates. One of them is for those who are patient. Can you imagine this? Babu sabr And Allah tests you. And you have to be patient with Allah. You have to be patient with people. Again, you could slip once in a while. You could slip here and there. But get yourself back on track. And repent to Allah. And... Be patient. You know what I mean. So it's it's that concept of like again. They are, they're, these are like we we might think it's a little thing or little things, right? But they're not. They will have significant impact on us on the day of judgment. Sins and repentance, like episode number thirty four, for example. Sins and repentance. Oh, we have to avoid sins and we have to keep repenting. It's a given. It's a given. Like, for example, episode number 36, what takes a Muslim out of Islam? The basically, the nullifiers of Islam. You have to learn this because you don't want to do it. Because guess what? If you get out of Islam knowingly, your your hereafter is done. Your hereafter is done. You're doomed again. You're doomed. Again, episode number 39, and I believe there was another episode talking about homosexuality and like those who want to, public, in general, publicizing your sexuality. Allah forbade you from doing so. Allah said a man should marry a woman, a woman should marry a man. This whole gender identity confusion, oh, I want to be a man tomorrow, but a woman today, that doesn't work in Islam. Allah created you in one way and one way only, either a male or a female. And yes, we said there's like 1% of 1% who are basically born with like both like genitals. And when they do a surgery and they have to do a surgery to be able to live normally, they will be inclined to whatever the... You know, the organ that they will keep or whatever. That's up to the doctors. But people who change gender, like what, what, what is called gender dysphoria, that, that's not, you cannot do this in Islam. It's 100% forbidden in Islam. And like, I know there's like mental situations going on. And we talked about this in a lot of detail. But however, again, work for your hereafter, not for the pleasures. And you know, the tem- you want to just fulfill your temptations in this life. Why would you want to do that? We said, you know, feeling Homosexuality is okay, by the way. It's allowed. Same thing as feeling that you want to be sexually active with the opposite gender. Being heterosexual, it's okay, it's allowed. Acting upon it is not allowed. Any sin that we want to commit, it is allowed to feel. Again, you cannot control how you feel, right? I mean, you can do certain things and make certain du'as to control how you feel. What you can control is your actions, so acting upon these things is not allowed in Islam. And if you do, then again, your hereafter will be at risk. 
during the day of judgment, you'll be at risk on the day of judgment. And the more you struggle, by the way, the more you struggle and the more you fight your urges and temptations, the better your status will be on the day of judgment. Listen, like I said, Allah is just. Anything that takes a lot of power, a lot of will from you to like fight in terms of temptations, Allah, trust me, Allah will reward you for that. Allah will reward you, inshallah, for that. We talked also about like episode number 40. We talked about the relationship between, you know, parents and children. And we mentioned this in a previous episode. A child who abuses their parents, oh, you have no idea what you've done. You have no idea what you've done. Especially if the parents are believers. Oh, like because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the chapter of Luqman. Allah said, even if your parents are non-Muslims and they are actively asking you to worship someone other than Allah, do not listen to them. However, still be kind to them and be good to them. This goes for the disbelievers of the parents. Imagine the believers. Imagine the believers. Imagine what Allah will do to you on the day of judgment because you abused your believer parents. Imagine that. A lot of kids, a lot of children, sons and daughters, they completely overlook this. And you don't think it's a big deal. They get mad at their parents. They get annoyed at their parents. They get a quote-unquote embarrassed at their parents. Your parents could be the reason why you enter paradise, by the way. And they could be the reason why you enter hellfire for probably years and years in hellfire. Be smart. Be wise. Episode 42, number 42, the purpose of wearing hijab. We talked about this. Now, I know that I, I understand that a lot of sisters are not ready yet to wear the hijab, but they know that they have to. I just want to remind you, you don't know when your time will come. When you will meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And not wearing the hijab is a major sin in the sight of Allah Again, I'm not trying to like scare you But as a matter of fact, scaring you And scaring everyone who's doing something That's like wrong or something that they should be doing But they're not Is good for you It's protecting your hereafter I don't care about how you feel in this life it's protecting your hereafter. You know, certain girls, and I said this before, certain sisters like, I don't look as beautiful when I wear the hijab. It's not about, as a matter of fact, Allah does not want you to show off your beauty to complete strangers. Because your purpose is not to show off your beauty. That's not your purpose in life. Your purpose in life is to listen to the commands of Allah, worship Him the way He wants to be worshipped, and that's it. That's it. Oh no, but I don't. I don't look that good. And Wallahi, sisters said that to me before. I don't know if I look that good in, in wearing the hijab. And it's not about looks. That's the opposite of that. Allah wants to conceal your good looks so people would treat you with dignity and respect, and not based on how you look. And also, it's modesty for Allah. When Allah asks you to do something, you do not bargain with Allah. You don't say, oh, "Allah doesn't look that good." Oh, Allah, I don't like that. Do you understand? It's like someone, and I just thought of this example, someone who's about to miss Asr prayers, let's say, and they pass by a mosque, but then they say, you know what? I'm not going to pray there because it's not a fancy looking mosque. I'm just going to miss Asr. 
what you're you're talking about an essential act of worship something that could be a major sin is a major sin actually not could be is a major sin and you don't want to do it because it doesn't look nice to me it's the same like you're about to miss asr and missing a prayer on purpose while you remember is a big deal it's a major sin and you're like ah yeah i would have prayed but the mosque doesn't look that pretty same thing when a sister says i know it's a big deal but i don't look that pretty when i wear it okay allah gave you the choice Again, this is this is the beauty of Islam. Islam doesn't force you. You have to. Or you're not a Muslim. No, you could be a Muslim and commit major sins, but then you will answer to Allah on the day of judgment. You could, you know, criticize me for saying that or criticize any sister out there who's telling you to wear the hijab or criticize anybody who's trying, but they're doing it for your sake. Yes, I get it. There is this like people who like everything you do is haram, everything you do is, is not worth it. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about the basics. There are certain things that as a Muslim woman, as a Muslim man, you should do. Men who like go out, and by the way, this goes for men too. Those who go out showing their abs because they started working out at the gym and not covering their aura. What is the aura? Is the body part that you have to cover as a Muslim. Guess what? If you do not cover below the belly, if you show your belly button and below, those who wear like shorts, and they want to like show off all their chest. Basically, they, they don't have shirts on. They took off their shirts. You are committing a major sin. You're showing off your aura. A lot of people look at the woman showing off her aura. And they completely ignore the man who's showing off his aura. Which is insane to me. It's the same thing. It is the same. has the same penalty. A aura showing for men is a major sin. A aura showing for a woman is a major sin. But no, I want to look good in this world. Yeah, it worked out. Look at me. Are you serious? You have no shame? All right, show us those apps on the day of judgment. Because that's what's going to happen. Everything that you, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, actually, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you go and please certain people by angering Allah, Allah on the day of judgment will say, okay, those people that you're trying to please, ask for their forgiveness. You're about to be punished. So ask them to forgive you and grant you Jannah then. It's not going to happen. They're just people. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy on all of us. You know, talking about, again, we glossed over and we went over like, you know, the certain things in the biography of the Prophet and everything we've learned from the life of the Prophet will help us on the day of judgment. Him being our role model will help us on the day of judgment. The Prophet even said it explicitly. There is nothing that will make you enter paradise that i didn't tell you about and there is nothing that would make you enter hellfire that i forbade you from the prophet conveyed everything quran and sunnah both combined that's our manual to survive the day of judgment that is basic what i'm telling you right now this is the road to the day of judgment the prophet laid the road very clear for us and the sources of course allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but through who the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Everything we learn, everything we listen to the Prophet for, like through the hadith, or listen to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran. Again, hadith and Quran are both coming from Allah. We mentioned this last time. That is our bridge, that is our manual to survive the day of judgment, to enter paradise and avoid hellfire. Episode 64, talking about love and you know, cheating and all these things. Great. You you feel the rush now? You feel like, oh, you want to text that girl? You want to text that boy? Wonderful. Then what? Haram? Wonderful. 
then what? What are you going to say to Allah on the Day of Judgment? Because again, people who indulge in this, whether males or females, they completely forget about the hereafter. Like, for example, let me tell you this story, or maybe a compilation of, of stories. So I know a lot of um, Muslim people who work in, you know, in, in, in Islamic schools, in Islamic centers, in, in, you know, like Islamic educational environments, right? And I've, I hear insane stories. I'm going to give you a couple of stories that I've heard, uh, vaguely, of course. Like, for example, you have this story of, uh, you know, boys and girls in, in a Muslim school who are, you know, publicizing their relationship. They're, they're uh, together, they're, you know, quote-unquote, a boyfriend or and a girlfriend. And they're publicizing this. They're they're making a big deal out of this, and they're you know like they're so happy with it, right? Isn't that crazy? And uh, again, you have Muslim children, Muslim youth. By the way, they are adults; they're not minors, right? And they're basically you know boasting about their relationship. They're literally saying, and they, again, it's multiple couples. It's this is an, an Islamic school, and you know you know the Sunday school also. Like you know when you go to the masjid, then there's like a program. You have that happens too. I've witnessed that with my own eyes. And okay, we get it. You know, you're young. You're trying to like you know you have these emotions and all these things, even though you're an adult and you should learn by now. But listen, we all have done certain things at a young age that we're not proud of, right? This is this is completely normal. The problem is that, for example, you have students who literally ruin the lives of other students. Wallahi. Like you have a, a girl, for example, who, and this is this is not a joke, who was boasting that she is from the LGBTQ. Can you imagine? Boasting about this in an Islamic school, and then when she was confronted, it turns out she was just trying to do it to be cool, to like, you know... Well, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm riding on the trend. I'm following the trend. I'm like, you know, everybody now is coming out as, you know, from the LGBTQ. So I'm one of them. She was not even like she was heterosexual, but she had to say that to look cool in an Islamic school. She thought that this will make her look cool, will make her look relatable to the current situations, you know, the, the current trends that are happening everywhere right now regarding the LGBTQ or the minorities, quote unquote minorities, when it comes to sexuality, right? And that's, that was a thing. And like, you know, some people are like, oh, wow. Like, how does that feel? And then she's like, you know, kind of sparking curiosity in other people in, in, the, in the wrong direction, of course, in a, in a wrong way. And here's the thing. The Prophet ﷺ said something very clear about boasting about sins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all sins, of course, except shirk. And except those who boast about their sins. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives sins of all kinds. Again, except for two things, shirk and those who boast about their sins. However, if you boast about your sin and you later on seek forgiveness and you regret and you ask Allah for, for, you know, for forgiveness and you repent to Allah, inshallah, Allah will forgive you. But Allah automatically, like Allah once in a while, like when you commit a sin, right? And then, you, for example, you pray five times a day. We said that the five daily prayers, they kind of erase all of your minor sins. If you commit a sin and then you ask Allah for forgiveness from that sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, will forgive you if you are sincere. If you commit a sin and you fast Ramadan or you do taraweeh in Ramadan, you do qiyam layl, Allah automatically forgives. Allah automatically forgives, forgives a lot of sins without you even realizing it, right? But boasting? 
Oh no, Allah does not automatically forgive boasting. That's that's a serious problem right there. And here's the issue with boasting. When you commit a sin, Allah could forgive that sin if he wants without you asking for repentance if you're for you know, if you sometimes you commit sins and we forget to repent from those sins, right? Like we get distracted with life and all these things and Allah automatically like I said with certain things forgive those sins. However, when you for like commit a sin and then you start boasting to other Muslims and telling the people, "Hey, world, look at me. I'm sinning." You know, I'm, I'm in a haram relationship. I've drink, I've I've had alcohol. Oh, I've I've smoked. Oh, I've done this. I've done that. Right now, the problem is you planted an evil seed, and you made other Muslims want to try. They want to do the same thing. Like there was this situation again at a, an Islamic institute where, well, I've I've heard this clearly from people who dealt with these things. A girl and a boy. They were together. They were caught together doing God knows what. And, uh, you know, instead of being ashamed of what happened, they literally just boast about it. And then when they were confronted by, you know, the staff of that Islamic Institute, they were like bold. They were bold about it. They were had no shame about it. Instead of like saying, oh, Haram, that was that was a mistake. May Allah forgive us. No, no, no. They were like, you know what? It's okay. You know, it's fine. And then the parents got involved and the parents were trying to protect their children Rather than, you know, being upset at their children, try to, you know, make their children learn that this is haram, this is not okay. No, they were defending their children. And again, I get it. It's their parents. But they were defending their children by saying, it's not a big deal. You guys are picking on my children. You guys, can you imagine this? Instead of the parent saying, this is wrong and I'm ashamed and I will talk to my child, the parent is literally saying, why were you picking on them? They were caught doing something haram. Yeah, but still, like, you know, you this is, you, why were you like, you know, wh why did you call them out? Like, why did you, by the way, the, the, the kids who were caught were never being called out. They literally, this all happened privately and they got like, you know, punished privately and all these things, but the parents got upset. And it's like crazy to me that what the parents care about is pride. Oh, my son or my daughter got reprimanded or like got, you know, uh, got punished for this instead of like, what led to this? Like, as a parent, you should ask yourself, what led to this? What made my daughter be alone with a, with, with a guy, with a, doesn't matter Muslim or non-Muslim, with a guy and, you know, being in a very inappropriate situation? And the, the same thing for the father. What led my son to be in an appropriate position uh, with, uh, with a girl? What led to this? What are we doing wrong in our household? And then you have someone who's like telling uh, a girl, like, again, these are all stories that I hear from different places. Uh, another girl telling her like best friend or whatever, who a female best friend, if you don't have a boyfriend, then you're doing something wrong. Then you have no value. Can you imagine this? This is coming from an inside of an Islamic institute. This is coming from between two Muslim girls talking. And it's insane to me that this is the norm. And again, they're, I get it. They're trying to fit in within society, modern society so bad. And we talked about this multiple times. They want to belong by, hey, what is the most un-Islamic thing that, you know, the youth would do? Oh, having, you know, haram relationships. All right, I'm on board. Count me in. I want to belong to you. I want to belong to the Western society. I want to be part of you ignoring the day of judgment, ignoring that they will be standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they will be asked, why have you done this? You know that this was haram. You were told that this was haram. By the way, the parents also who allow this, who knowingly allow this, you know that as a parent, you are responsible 
responsible for your uh, children, for their behavior, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? Allah will ask you, what have you have you protected your children from such a fitna, from such temptation? No, oh Allah. How could you allow all of this to happen? How could you allow your children to normalize this and to you know corrupt their friends, corrupt their society eventually? Because of pride, because they, you don't want them to look bad in front of like a school or an Islamic center or an Islamic inst really? Is that all you care about? Not you know the future of your children? You have you lost sight of the day of judgment? You don't see it anymore? You didn't think that this moment will happen? You're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah protect us all, Wallahi. Uh, sorry for the rant, but uh, honestly, it's just it's mind-boggling what's happening in, in this world right now. Anyway, forgiveness is another thing, right? I believe it was episode number 69. Forgiveness. You have to forgive people to gain Allah's forgiveness on the Day of Judgment. And this had the, the, was the famous incident. When people started making rumors about uh, the wife of the Prophet Sallam, Aisha, the not people, let me rephrase, the hypocrites of Medina, those who pretended to be Muslims but they were internally disbelievers and Allah exposed them in the Quran, there's a whole chapter called the Munafiqun or the hypocrites. And when everything was said and done, Allah revealed uh, in the chapter of Nur, uh, the, the, basically the proof of the innocence of our mother Aisha. But because one one of the people who spread the rumor, not initiated the rumor, one of the people who spread the rumor was a companion, was not from the Munafiqun, and he was the cousin of Aisha. And Abu Bakr, the father of Aisha, right? The father-in-law, the best friend of the Prophet and the father-in-law of the Prophet as well, he uh, used to give charity to that cousin. And when he found out that that cousin, his nephew, basically was spreading that rumor or helped to spread that rumor, he cut off he cut him off from that charity. And Allah revealed a verse in the Quran, basically telling Abu Bakr, "Forgive him if you want Allah to forgive you." In the chapter of Nur, again the same chapter where Allah Subhanahu wa Taala revealed the innocence of our mother Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. In the chapter of Nur, verse number twenty-two. Like basically Allah saying those who have money who are helping, talking about Abu Bakr. But in general, we have to learn from that. Right? Uh, I just want to get to the because it's a it's a bit of a, a longer verse. Look at this. Those who are capable of paying charity and, you know, to those who wrong them, talking about the nephew, the cousin of Aisha, Allah saying, Forgive and forget. Wouldn't you like it or wouldn't you love it if Allah forgives you on the day of judgment? Forgive people. So you could be forgiven. You know what I mean? Allah is telling you, forgive people so you would be forgiven on the day of judgment. And we have to practice that. A lot of us don't practice that concept, unfortunately. But us as Muslims, we need to practice that. Right? We need to forgive people, again, as much as we can. Some things happen. Some people wrong us in a very terrible way that we just simply can't. That's why Allah is saying, 
It's, 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 it's a choice, by the way. Allah saying it's mandatory. Allah saying it's a choice. Forgive and forget. Don't you want, look at that way, subhanAllah, Almighty is approaching us. As if like, do, do this favor for your fellow Muslim. Look at Allah is trying to like, you know, make our hearts lean towards one another. Look at that. Subhanallah, it's almighty. Wallahi. Allah saying, oh, like Allah's not saying you should forgive, you should forget. Because otherwise you won't be forgiven on a day of judgment. No, 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 no. Allah did not make it uh, mandatory to forgive people. Allah saying, forgive, forget. Don't you like that Allah would forgive you on a day of judgment? Look at the approach. Don't you love Allah to Hibun? Don't you love that Allah would forgive you on a day of judgment? Allah made it a choice for us. And of course, again, it's all about wisdom. Are we wise enough to make that choice and fight the anger that we have towards certain people who wronged us, right? That is the ultimate choice. And again, it all goes back to our vision. Is it this life? Is it all what we care about? Or is it the hereafter? Because if you only care about the hereafter and you know that the hereafter is your final abode, this is your eternal life going to be there, you're going to pressure yourself to forgive people. You're going to, you know, like be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to force myself to forgive you and forget what you've done. So I gain that reward on the day of judgment. I get the ultimate because I could have done something terrible and I need Allah's forgiveness on the day of judgment. Something that I didn't repent for, that I forgot to repent for. And I need Allah's forgiveness on the day of judgment. So that is another concept that unfortunately a lot of us do not practice when it comes to the day of judgment. Studying destiny. That's like episode number 90. I jumped all the way to episode number 90. 90, 91, all the things about destiny, 92. Knowing destiny, studying destiny, it makes us live a better life, accepting our destiny, realizing to a degree, like a lot, like I said before, Allah did not tell us every single thing that happens when it comes to the process of destiny. But Allah told us enough to make us content with our lives and believing in the uh, in destiny will lead us to paradise, inshallah, accepting destiny. It is one of the six pillars of faith. Well, that's actually the last pillar of faith. Al-Imanu bil-Qadari khayruhu wa sharru. Believing in predestination or destiny, whether it's good or bad. Believing in it. You understand? So, believing in destiny and living by the concept of destiny in Islam will get, it's one, again, one of the six pillars of belief. And that means what? If we believe in it, and if we live by it, inshallah, that will increase our chances into, uh, you know, with entering uh, uh, paradise and avoiding hellfire. Injustice, another thing. Injustice in Islam and bullying and backbiting. We talked about this in episode number 97 and 98. What, you want to commit injustice now? Good on you. Good luck in the hereafter. Good luck in the hereafter. You want to bully people? You want to keep backbiting people? Good on you. Enjoy these like few moments. It's very few little moments, by the way, when you like commit injustice. You're going to get a, a nice satisfaction if you're an evil human being, of course. When you bully and you think you're so tough, all right, good. Now let's see what happens to you on the Day of Judgment. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in the chapter of Ibrahim, verse number 42? Huh? The famous verse. وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهُ غَافِلٌ يَعْمَلُ الظَّالِمُونَ إِنَّمَا يُؤَخِّرُهُمْ لِيَوْمٍ تَشْخَصُ فِيهِ الْأَبْصَارِ Do not think for a second that Allah is unaware of those 
wrongdoers, that those who commit injustice, those who are in power or not in power. Even if someone on a very low level, on a very small scale, commits injustice, you're one of those. وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ اللَّهُ غَافِلٌ عَمَّا يَعْمَلُوا الظَّالِمُونَ Allah is aware of what those transgressors have been doing. إِنَّمَا But يُؤَخِّرُهُمْ لِيَوْمٍ تَشْخَصُ فِيهِ الْأَبْصَارِ Allah is keeping them, delaying their fate to a day, look at this, when their eyes will be open wide out of terror and horror. They will be horrified. That's the day of judgment. Those who committed injustice, those who were bullying and hurting people, well, it's okay, don't worry, Allah's watching. And they will be punished on a day where every all the eyes will be wide open from Basically, everybody's terrified of what's happening on the Day of Judgment. So don't worry. That's why we even we keep saying what's happening with the Muslims around the world, especially in Palestine. Okay, if there's nothing we can do now, which are our best still, but if there's nothing we can do, we're waiting for that justice. And by the way, from this verse only, you know that Allah is saying there will be people who will get away with injustice. That's why this verse exists, that they will be caught and punished on the Day of Judgment. This is actually one of the biggest verses to basically, it's a, a statement from Allah to say, yeah, there will be a lot of injustice and a lot of people will get away. Not every injustice will be dealt with in this life. A lot of people will get away and once they get away and they die and they are resurrected on the Day of Judgment, now it's my time. Bring him to me. That's basically what the verse says. And it's a proof, a solid proof a written proof, a verbal proof that there will be those who are like, how could Allah allow injustice? Allah is telling you, I will allow it in this life because this life doesn't matter. This life is not the end all. It's not. I will allow it, but look at this. That day where everybody's terrified, oh, that's my day. I will punish those in my court. Subhanallah. Wallahi. Subhanallah. Now moving on to episode number 99, can someone... You know, uh, become a Muslim without converting to Islam. That doesn't. We, we we address that. You have to the bare minimum, the basics that you have to do is to become a Muslim to have a chance in the hereafter. Like once you become a Muslim, now you have to work on that. But everything is 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 nothing compared to that one big step of becoming a Muslim. Okay, uh, now episode 100, 101, 2, 3, whatever We talked about like uh, even up, up until what, like 104 Talking about jinn and Satan and we know his plan And we, by the way, we'll talk about his destiny on the day of judgment Not now, but later But again, Satan's main task Satan's main job, his main objective is to stop us or to prevent us from surviving the hereafter, the day of judgment. That is his main goal, by the way. His num- By the way, his only goal is to prevent as many people as possible from entering paradise. Can you imagine you have an invisible enemy like Satan who is sole purpose. He has armies of shayateen, of devils, that they go out there, they whisper in your ears, they try to tempt you, all these things for one goal and one goal only, to not survive this life, basically to not survive the hereafter by not surviving you know, the temptations, to fall into temptations, to fail this life, 
so you won't survive the hereafter and you will enter hellfire. That's their sole goal, by the way. One goal and one goal only. His job is to prevent you from surviving the hereafter. He wants you to fail. That's, that's what Satan wants and his followers. And we have to be smarter than this. Because now we know. We know, look at this, Wallahi. When people say sometimes it's not fair, Satan is invisible, he sees what we do, and he plots and plans. Yeah, but Allah told you what he's doing. You already know he's out there watching you, him and his followers. You already know what he's going to try with you. And Allah told you how to protect yourself from him and his followers again. Allah told you. Allah gave you the protection. And Allah told you his plan. And Allah told you what he wants to do or wants you to be at on the day of judgment. He wants you to go to hellfire, plain and simple. And he will do his best, his absolute best to make you enter hellfire, to make you not survive the day of judgment. And guess what's funny about that? On the day of judgment, he will be the first one to say, I did not force him to commit those sins. I just whispered, they listened. Can you imagine this? The first one who will literally throw you under the bus is the one who made you, who helped you, not made you. Because again, you have brains, you have a self, you have nafs. But Satan, with Satan's help, you commit those sins. So the one who helped you commit the sins will be the first one to sell you out. Goodbye. It was not my fault. Of course, Allah knows what's happening. But both of you will be punished. Do you really want to be in the same category as the, you know, the devil who was assigned to you? Do you really want to be there? You don't. And that's why we'll learn about the jinn. That's why we'll learn about the strategy of Satan, like in, in episode number 104. The reason why we learn about all these things so we can survive this life so we do not fail, right? And we survive that hereafter, the day of judgment. And we do not go to hellfire. That is the reason why. We also talked about zakah. And we said zakah is mandatory upon every Muslim who's capable. And we said there's something called a nisab. A nisab is the bare minimum amount of wealth that you have or whatever is equivalent in terms of gold or in terms of money. doesn't really matter. What's equivalent of $5,000? In our modern calculation, of course. If you have $5,000 and up, you have to start to pay zakah, 2.5%. If you do not do that, by the way, Allah gave you all that money, right? All your wealth. Whatever 5000 and plus, that's from Allah through your job. But it's from Allah, just to make it clear. So Allah saying, take 2.5% of that and give it to the poor of the Muslims or those who are in need from the Muslims. And if you want to pay extra charity, like a voluntary charity, like sadaqah, that will increase your rewards and increase your chances in entering uh, paradise on the day of judgment. Simple. Refuse to pay 2.5% if you have the money is a major sin in the sight of Allah. And you will pay for it severely. And by the way, there's a hadith by the Prophet who said, if you help a Muslim in need in this life, help a Muslim in a tough situation in this life, Allah will get you out of a tough situation in the hereafter. Again, this is a beautiful hadith by the Prophet. The Prophet said, If you get a Muslim, a believer, a mu'min, not even just a Muslim, a believer, if you get a believer out of a tough situation, whether it's financial, whether it's like a family issue that's happening, whatever. The qurba. Qurba meaning a, a very difficult situation, a tight situation. So if you get a Muslim or a believer out of a tough situation, a bad situation, Allah will get you out of a tough situation on the day of judgment. 
look at the reward, right? So whenever you're trying to help a friend or a believer that you know in general, right? Think about this statement. Think about this hadith. Help him now and Allah will help you on the day of judgment. Allah does not forget, my dear brothers and sisters. Allah does not forget. Allah does not forget. If you do something good, Allah saves it. Allah is like, think of it as Allah has a, basically a ledger for every good thing. And it is true, actually. Allah saves every good thing you do and every bad thing you do. Don't forget that. So make the good more than the bad. That's what I'm trying to say. And again, this is a perfect example of something you do in this life. That's why I say, utilize this life to have a better hereafter. Utilize this life to guarantee Jannah as much as you can. Again, there's no guaranteeing Jannah without the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, without the will of Allah. But my point is, as much as you can. You know, those people who live in like an extravagant way, you know, paying thousands of dollars to celebrate a birthday, right? Uh, and and don't pay for the poor and don't care about the poor while other Muslims are hungry around the world. They, they, they just don't help them. They care about parties and celebrations. And we said celebrating birthdays with gender mixing and all this, you know, all these things that come with a birthday celebration is not allowed in Islam based on the majority of the scholars. Minority said it's fine as long as you observe the gender mixing and you make it a, like a maybe family and like only just family and, you know, you make it like a competition of reciting Quran. There's, again, difference of opinion on that. However, my point is, in general, spending money on celebrations and not caring about the weak, care about the hungry, is going to affect you again on the day of judgment. Allah will ask you, what have you done with your money? Birthday parties, celebrations, uh, graduation party, or when uh, to the Bahamas. Well, you can't go to the Bahamas now because supposedly there's a lot of like rape cases or whatever. But anyway, went to like resorts, went to this and that. And, you know, I was having a lot of fun. Bought a new car, bought a new phone, bought a new house. That's it. You have not paid anything towards your Muslim brothers and sisters in Islam? Uh, well, no. All right. Here you go. And you will be punished. And we're going to talk about the types of punishment, by the way, on the Day of Judgment, not even in, in Hellfire, on the Day of Judgment before anything else. Okay? And of course, we talked about like uh, episode number 112, talking about usury. I, I talked about this last time. You know, we tell people, hey, to not indulge in usury. So this is severe punishment on the day of judgment and in, in hellfire. Nope. I want a house right here, right now. All right. You know, those who um, um, like abusive, like also we talked about this, abusive parents, abusive children, right? Even like people who commit sexual abuse. And we talked about this. I believe it was Q&A number nine. Do you guys understand that Allah's watching and recording everything you're doing so you will be confronted on the day of judgment with all these heinous acts? Every single thing you do, nothing goes away unless you regret and you repent. And if you did it to someone else, you have to ask for their forgiveness. For those of you who think backbiting it could be like erased by saying, Astaghfirullah, oh Allah, forgive me. It doesn't. You have to seek forgiveness of the person you were backbiting the person that you committed injustice against and if you can't well make make dua for them and you have to mention them in all goodness you have to make for that you have to make up for that you have to 
simple, oh Allah, I repent, astaghfirullah, does not do it. You have to sincerely mean it. Even if you fall back into the same thing, you have to mean it when you repent to Allah. And of course, we talked about the whole series of death, and we talked about how death, again, death is literally the first, like the Prophet said, the first stop of the hereafter. Literally, the first stop of the hereafter, of the day of judgment, is death. It all starts with death, right? It all starts with death. And it builds on that. And of course, you know, we talked about the the the, the minor signs, the major signs, and I gave even a, a big recap. I'm not going to re- repeat that. So, in a way, like you're seeing right now, everything we do affects our hereafter. Every little thing we study about Islam will affect our fate will have consequences, will have an effect, an impact on us on the day of judgment. Do not take it lightly. The day of judgment is not to be taken lightly, my dear brothers and sisters in Islam. It is a day unlike any other day you'll ever witness or you have ever witnessed in your entire life. It is something that's, again, terrifying, for those who will be terrified and even it will be terrifying for believers but believers will have a spe- special treatment on the day of judgment we're going to get into that will have special treatment to make them uh feel more safe like Allah promised remember Allah said if you felt safe on the, in this life you won't feel safe on the day of judgment and if you were fearing me in this life you will feel safe you won't fear me on the day of judgment and Allah will fulfill his promise and we're going to talk about that in a lot of detail in, in inshallah in the future. So in closing, the whole purpose of us learning Islam is to survive the day of judgment. It's that simple, Wallahi. That's the whole purpose. Allah wants us to worship him. And what's the reward? Surviving the day of judgment. And how do we survive the day of judgment? By going into paradise instead of hellfire. Okay? That's what Allah wants for us. Allah does not want to punish us. Allah does not enjoy punishing us. Allah does not want that. However, Allah promised, you do this, you will be punished. You do this, you will be rewarded. The choice is up to all of us. Every single human being has, again, the freedom of choice. We can choose how to live our lives. And that will mean we're also choosing the consequences on the day of judgment. It really is not that difficult. Uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.